Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Okay, I'm going to I'm a visual learner and this verse uh, these verses today that we're going to get into help me uh, if I can visualize it. So maybe this is just for me. Um, I'm going to scribble some. Uh, but maybe it helps you too. Um, as we get going this morning, um, do you guys remember Kyle and Emily Kurth, who stood up here uh, back in the fall and said, hey, we're going to launch, we're going to go out to the other side of the world, and we're going uh, to bring the gospel to people who have no chance to hear it unless we go. They're there, they made it, they're establishing their family, they're building a home there, um, and, and they're getting settled. And Kyle emailed me this week, and he said, hey, I just want you to know the, the podcast that Damascus Road send out, um, that's, our, that's our major source of teaching. Um, we listen to those and we feel connected to Damascus Road, even though we're um, across the world. So I just want to start this morning by saying hi to Kyle and Emily and Hudson and Sawyer. Would you guys kind of give a, a shout and a holler and say we love you guys? All right. Uh, let's just dive in. We're in 1 John. We're going to read 1 John 3, 11 through 24 this morning. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The first John is a book, is a letter written from a pastor to his church. And I think the theme... The, the theme, the overarching theme of the book that John writes is life. He introduces it right in the beginning. And he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wants his church to know the one who is life and the one who brings life. And so then out of that, he has a couple of different sub-themes that come up over and over and over. In the book of John, you'll see light and you'll see love. Over and over and over, uh, John says, this life that Jesus brought was full of light, and, it, and there is no darkness in him. People can't hide. The truth is revealed, and, and it's a bright and shining light, and it serves as a warning to people about going in the wrong direction, and it serves as a beacon home, like calling them home. And John says over and over and over, this life that Jesus offers is a life of love that we receive love, and that we are sent to love to each other and to the world around. John is very concerned about right thinking about God and then right living about God. He doesn't want us to side and make an error about choosing, I'm just going to be nice to people, and then I'll make up what I want to feel about God. John says there is a right way, a true way to think about God, and I'm going to challenge you in it. And if, teacher, if, if teachers are teaching falsely about that, we need to challenge that. But John is not content with just head knowledge. John says head knowledge by itself is dangerous. John says head knowledge by itself is of the devil, is, is kind of the, the wording that he uses. So John wants you to think right about God, and he wants us to live the way that God called us to live. Right thinking and right living. In this section, I'm just going to kind of lay it out and then we'll, we'll walk through it. His flow goes something like this. The point that he starts this section is love. Here's the command. Love. It's not a complicated command. It's a very simple command. But it, it penetrates almost every area of life and relationship and community. He says, you're, you're commanded to love. And then he makes a negative point. So John is all about dichotomy. John is all about uh, it's this or that. He, John sees very little gray area. And though I think there is gray area in life, uh, for John, it's, it's a helpful teaching point that he says, look, if you're, not, if you're not bringing life, what are you bringing? And, and I love how this mirrors So John has these two opposing themes. And he says, if you're not loving, what are you doing? You're hating. Okay? And if you're not living in the light, where are you living? These are mirror themes that are going on in John. And he's, he goes back and forth throughout his book. So he's going to give us a command today that says love. And then as a way of as a way of talking about what love is, he's going to give us a negative example. Don't do this. Okay? Don't do this. Um, and he's going to say, this is Cain. You're going to talk about Cain and who he was and how he hated. And then he's going to flip back over here and he's going to say, I've got an example for you here and I'll, I'll just give it away. This one is Jesus. Don't be like Cain, 
be like Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and how he is an example of one who loved. And then uh, after this, he's going to give us encouragement. To say when, you, when your hearts start to doubt what's going on inside, when your hearts start to doubt whether you have been adopted as children of God through Jesus Christ, here's some encouragement for you. Here's some reassurance for you. Here's stuff that you can uh, look at to say, am I living a life pleasing to God? John's going to say, I have some stuff that you can ask that question and answer it for you. Okay, so let's go through that. In verse 11, he says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Don says, love one another. This isn't a new command. Uh, this isn't even new in the, in the letter of 1 John. We uh, preached on it a couple weeks ago, that Jesus called us to love, that we are sent to love, that we are over and over and over sent to love. But it's like John won't let go of it. It's as if his church could say, um, we heard that. It's like, yeah, but are you doing it? Yeah, but teach me something new. I want to know, I want to get deeper uh, with God. And John says, but are you doing it? I've had this quote in my office. Um, I don't really have an office right now, so it's not hanging up. Here's, Here's the quote. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. A guy named Samuel Johnson had was on to something there, I think. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And so when John says love, he's not telling them something new. He's just saying, I want to remind you. I want to keep this on the forefront. This is something that's very, very important. Are you doing it? Are you living it? Because I don't care if you learn another one more thing about God. I don't care if you know one more piece of right theology. If you're, if you're missing this, it's worthless. John says, are you loving? And then he says, this is what I'm not talking about. Don't be like Cain. So he says in verse 12, I mean, he's got harsh words for Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother is righteous. So Cain, um, I, this is not a fun exercise if you're Cain. Okay, How, would you, how does Job... How does John describe Cain? He says, um, if I have one phrase to describe Cain, I'm going to say, of the evil one. How do you like that as your tagline? Hi, I'm Cain of the evil one. Okay. John says, don't be like him. So who's Cain? We're introduced to Cain in the beginning of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis. Um, God creates he creates people, Adam and Eve, he sets up as the, um, these first people, and then they have children and their offspring, though I think they had many. Um, these first two are recorded, Cain and Abel. And Cain is, Cain is a farmer, nothing against farmers. God doesn't have anything against farmers. The fact that he's a farmer doesn't make him of the evil one, okay? Um, <laughs> Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd. So that they're both working, they both have a job to do that are very important. And uh, Genesis says, in the course of time, they both brought offerings to the Lord. That they understood that God had created them, that God loved them, that God gave them a job to do. And out of the, uh, what they produced, 
They would give to God as an offering to say, God, this came from you, and we give it back to you. We live from you. Cain gave, it says, some of the fruits of his labor. And Abel gave a perfect lamb. So Abel gives the best of the best as a symbol of declaring, God, you have given me so much. Before I do anything else, I want to dedicate it to you. I want to give it back to you. I want to live out of the abundance that you give me. Uh, and it's like he's, he's living an open-handed kind of life. Cain, on the other hand, says, that's some pretty fruit. I could get a good price for that fruit. And he closes his hand and he says, I'll give you some of this other stuff, God. I want to honor you. I want to honor you. But I need to take care of me. And you see right from the very beginning that Abel says, God, you will take care of me. I will give back to you. And Cain says, God, I need to take care of me. And from that excess, then I'll give to you. And God does not accept Cain's offering. Which is pointed because I live that way. I struggle giving the best and the first to God because I have this mentality that I better do a good job taking care. And I bet you do that too. And if we look here, the example that is set forward is this, will you trust God? Will you trust him to take care of you? And will you live with a kind of active trust that says, I don't just say I trust God, I I live it out and I put myself in a vulnerable position because I know God will have me. I know he'll have me. Or do we live kind of tight-fisted, holding on to what God has given us? Uh, he, He rejects Cain's offering and he accepts Abel's offering. And this burns Cain. It just burns him. And every time he looks at Abel, he starts to see Abel is favored. Abel is the one that God said yes to. Abel is the one that God loves more, which is not true. Because God said, Cain, Cain, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you'll be blessed. I'm going to accept it when you trust me. I'm going to accept when you live out of that. I'm going to accept when you really live the way I'm calling you to live. I don't favor Abel more than you. I just want you to trust and I want you to obey the way that he did. But it burns him. So what happens when you are living like Cain and you're living a life in the dark and you see somebody else living in the light? They bother you. They annoy you. They remind you of what you are. It's like Abel was a mirror to Cain. That said, every time I look at you, I see what I'm not. Every time I look at you, I see my own stinginess. And I hate you for that. And so he killed him. Cain killed Abel. So here is a shepherd whose life was taken. Because of the dark and because of the hate, and it led to death. And John says, Don't be like that. Don't be so tight fisted that you look at other people who lived with an open handed 
love-giving, light-inviting kind of way. Don't live that way and hate them for it. When you do, it just leads to death. Don't be like that. Then he moves on. He says, uh, don't be surprised if the world hates you. I'm not sure that we can totally claim that this applies to us. What he's saying to his people is, because you live in the light, because you live in love, people who hate by their nature and live in the dark are going to look at you like Cain looked at Abel, and they will hate you for it. Don't be surprised by it. That's a pretty natural response. That assumes, though, that you are living in the light and living in the love. And we shouldn't assume that, right? So we should be people who seek to live in the light. We should be people who seek to live a life of love. And when we do that, we shouldn't be surprised if the world hates us for it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Cain, his problem was shame and pride, I think. They coupled together in a way that he couldn't stand. He couldn't stand that he did something that was lacking. And his brother did something that was praiseworthy. And then rather than repenting, rather than humbling himself and saying, I was wrong, I want to get it right. He just got rid of the problem. He just got rid of the opposition which wasn't really opposition. If you are living right, some people will be drawn to it, and others will want to take you out, because darkness despises the light. And John goes on in verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life, out of death into life, because we love. We know we've, we know we've made this uh, travel from death to life because it shows up in the way that we love. It's a, it's, we can look at it and we can see it happening in our lives. It says, whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love lives in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John uses strong language. And you say, okay, um, not in that company. Not a murderer. So I'm good. John says your thoughts matter. Your feelings and your intentions toward people matter. If you are not bringing life, then you are bringing death. If you are not loving people, John says you are hating people. If you're not... Living in the light, you're hiding in the darkness. And he says it matters. So we stop, I guess. And we would say, does the spirit of Cain live today? Does it live in our church? Do we as a church look at people and say, I hate you? Not like we would ever say that. But, but if we're not loving, we're hating. Are there people that we are not doing a good job loving as a church? And, and how would we correct that? I don't think we have to go down the road of, 
Cain and just take him out because that's a prick on our conscience. <laughs> okay? Repentance and humility is a response that would be appropriate. We need to do a better job loving. How is, how is the spirit of Cain in your own life? Do you have a spirit of Cain that looks at other people and compares yourself to other people and how they have had success and you, you're not able to celebrate their success or their wins or their victories because you wish you had that? You're not able to celebrate what they have been given because you wish they had that. Do you look at other people and you say, I wish I could be like you and, be, and because I'm not, I, I end up despising you. Do you have that? going on in you, and you recognize that it's ugly, and you also recognize that you don't have to stay there. You recognize that Jesus offers something different. The spirit of Cain shows itself in fractured relationships, in envy, in brokenness, in anger, and in revenge. And so you ask yourself the question, is there somebody in my life that I have a fractured, broken relationship with? And is there something that I could do that could take a step toward making it right? I may not be able to fix it. I may not be able to go all the way because they're involved too. But is there something I could do to take a step away from hate toward love and healing in that relationship? John continues and he says, enough about Cain. I want, to, I want to flip over to the other side of the mirror and I want to show you the ultimate example of one who loved. He says, by this we know love. He says, if you want to know love, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus and he says, by this we know love. What about Jesus shows us love? He says, he laid down his life for us. So he didn't even cling to his own life. He lived an open-handed kind of way with his own life. And he laid it down. And then John says, and we ought to lay it down our life for the brothers. John shows us Cain, who he says is from the evil one. And then he shows us Jesus, who he describes in the first chapter as with God from the beginning. With God. Jesus is... With God, he's with the Father. He's from the Father. And so you have Cain, who is from the evil one, and you have Jesus, who came from the Father. And the mirror keeps going. He's with the Father from the beginning. And Jesus is called the good what? Jesus is called the good shepherd. I love this in John 10, where he says, I'm the good shepherd. I... Love my sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And it wasn't just rhetoric. It wasn't just smooth talking. Jesus did it. Jesus saw his flock lost. And he went out to find them. He went out to find us. And when we were in danger of death, he put himself on the line. He put his life on the line. And he gave his life up. If you want to look, if you want to see what love looks like, you look at Jesus. Cain murdered his brother because of pride and shame. Jesus lays down his life 
Why? Out of humility and generosity. If you look at Philippians 2, it says, Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be, something to be grasped. But he let it go. And he came down and he, he became human. Like God moved into the neighborhood. He put flesh and blood on and he moved to be right here next to us. He gave up his throne and he lived an open-handed kind of way that Cain never did. And he gave it up to come next to us. And he didn't just come here to live among us. He died the worst imaginable death you could. But here's the difference. In Abel, we have a shepherd whose life was taken. In Jesus, we have a shepherd who gave his life. This is awesome. I, I love this. When I, when I start putting this out like this, I, I, I get so excited. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I give it. I'm going to give it. And so it wasn't just a screwed up plan. It wasn't like God said, Jesus, to go on a rescue mission and then something happened. He's like, oops, that didn't work out that well. We'll see how we can fix it. From the beginning, it was Jesus' plan to come and give his life. This was not an accident. Jesus lived in such a way that he gave himself all the way to the end. No one took that from him. He gave it. He gave it. And Philippians tells us that we should have the same kind of attitude as Jesus. Jesus saw us as precious. He saw us as worth giving his life for. Let, like, let that sink in. If you look at yourself in the mirror and you hate what you see, know and know that Jesus looked at you and saw something worth giving his life for. I want you to know that. He sees in you something of great value. To him, you are precious and you are valuable. You are worth it for him. His death, his death, when he gave his life. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to a full life, to an abundant life, not just a life of material possessions. I don't think that's what he's talking about, but one that fills you from the inside. Jesus talks about being a spring of living water. If we would drink from him, all of a sudden we have rivers of life flowing out of us. This is an invitation back into relationship. It's an invitation to redemption. It's an invitation to restoration. And if you have taken him up on this invitation, it's also a challenge. That relationship leads to responsibility. That if you have come into life, our response is to love. Our response is to be light. If we have been changed from the inside, it starts to penetrate and move out. And it shows up in our lives. It shows up in our families. It shows up in the people that we interact. It shows up in our community. It can't be avoided because it just starts to take over. 
John says, if you want to see if it's, if it's in you, look at the way that you love. Peter says, Jesus left us an example so that we could follow in his steps. And does it mean literally laying down your life for someone? It could. It could. But there are a million less dramatic ways that we can love people. John says, if he gives an example now of what love looks like, he said, Jesus is the ultimate example, but I'll give you, I'll give you something else. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We see a need and we meet a need. The truth is, love costs something. Love is not free. Love, hopefully, is free to the recipient. But love costs something to the one who is giving. It costs Jesus everything. And he's not going to spare us from a life of giving, a life of generosity. He said, I want you to love. And that's going to mean it's going to cost you. Now, this is, here's a really cool deal. Okay? Jesus came to bring life. Uh, and, and depending on how nerdy you want to be, this word that shows up over and over and over, like in the first chapter of John. Zoe. Okay? John says, we saw the one who is life. We saw the one who is Zoe. And he, and he invites us to life. This is life, life, life. Now, later on, here in... Um, Verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So the word goods, uh, the word goods is translated like goods or material possessions or whatever. It actually comes from this word, bios, which sounds like what? Life, biology. Life science. And so John says, this is beautiful. John says, if you have life and you see somebody who has a need and you don't, how is this happening? This is capital life. And the, like if you have enough to live on, that's the little life. That's the material possessions. That's the day-to-day, -day, you know, am, am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to be able to do this? That all that all affects your life. If you have this stuff, if you have this little life, and you see somebody who has a need, and you're able to meet it, and you live tight-fisted, and you cling to that, how can you ever claim that you have the capital life? How, how, how does that work? For John, that is a huge problem. For John, it says, help me understand how that could be. Jesus invites you to life and you cling to this little bitty life and you get stingy with it. Show me how that has penetrated you. I am not convinced, says John. He's saying worldly bios can actually interfere with the godly zoe. That clinging to the life of the world and Justin preached about all things that pass away in very vivid 
description. If we cling to the stuff that passes away, that can actually interfere with us living a life that Jesus invites us to, that fills us, that is forever. We have a tendency to grasp. And in our grasping, we refuse to share. And then we shut down our feelings toward others. And we give ourselves good reasons to be stingy. And when we do this, we're not giving life. We're not bringing life to other people. Back to Philippians 2. Jesus said he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He lived an open-handed kind of life. And John says, little children, let us not love just with words. Let's do something about it. Actions and truth. Love that fails to take action is just, just empty words. Love that fails to take action is worthless religion. We had the If Gathering meet here a few weeks ago, and a bunch of ladies from our church sat for a few days. Uh, Can I push this out of the way? Sat for a few days under some... Really great teaching. And uh, one of the organizations that they got introduced to was an organization called IJM, or International Justice Mission. Um, And... International Justice Mission is a really, really cool organization filled with people who are warriors, like they fight for other people. And I want to give you a taste of who they are and what they do and then say, um, how, how are we responding to that? And this is directly related because John says, if you see a need and you can meet a need, proceed. Let's watch this video. I am the same now. 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 I am the same
Today, there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed, until they are free. Each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens. Our world is so dark. Elise had a parent-child dedication today. You see the beautiful young lives who are given a safe place to grow up. And around the world, that is not the case. There are families who are ripped apart and are broken, who have little ones who are taken. There are lives who are not well. You want a real-life example of death and hate and darkness. You look at the problem of slavery in our world. And IJM is standing up and saying, we have to bring life. We have to bring light. We have to go and rescue people and love them and bring them back into life. So every quarter here at Damascus Road, we make an intentional decision to say, we want to make sure that we are giving um, this year 11% out of everything we bring, we're going to push 11% out. And whatever we have in regular giving um, that doesn't quite meet the 11%, we're going to take that pool of money and we're going we're to throw it away towards something that God has leads us to. And so we... I mean, you as a church can know we sent a $1,500 check to IJM to say, do it. Do what you do. We are not where you are, but do what you do, and we are going to do something about it. And we will continue to look for ways to bring light to a dark world, to bring love to a world that is full of hate, and we will continue to push. So a couple of years ago, uh, we made a decision to 
give away 10% of everything that came in. And last year we said, we, let's grow in the grace of giving and let's go from 10% to 11%. And uh, this last year we actually gave 13.5%. We said we'd give 11, we gave 13.5. So this year we're going to make a commitment and we're going to grow. And we're going to grow from 11 to promising to give no less than 12. And this gift to IJM is a part of that, how we as a church, how we as a body are going to conduct ourselves and take John seriously and take Jesus seriously and say, if you see a need, do something. Love. Now that's one small thing that we can do. And there are so many other things in your lives, in your family, in this community that we can do to love people. Bringing Justin on from part-time to full-time is going to uh, narrow, lessen the gap, a buffer, if you will. It's going to push us. It's a wise, it's not a financially unwise move, but it removes margin. And we're just declaring that we're going to be a church and not a bank, right? That we don't want to just stockpile money. We want to use money as a tool that God gives us, and we want to use it well. Bringing him on is a way that our church can grow. We don't want to just grow internally. We want to push and be sent to love. And so I'll ask you unashamedly, this year, might your giving increase? Not out of, I can't believe they're asking me to do that, but out of a, God, would you increase my joy in giving? Would you... Would you pry my hands away so that I could live more freely, more open-handedly? Would you use my money in a way that brings light and life and love to other people? I want to be a part of that. Maybe, maybe you're maxed out, and God bless you if you are. And maybe we have an opportunity to grow as individuals and as a church. Then John says, how do we know if we're pleasing God? In verse 19, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Reassure our heart before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandments and do what pleases him. What pleases him? This is his commandment. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We doubt. We doubt our position with God. We doubt our relationship with God. And John asks, to that doubt, do you trust Jesus? And is he leading you to love others? He is not saying you need to be perfect. He's saying, are you on the path? Do you trust Jesus? And is that that translating into love for others? Then have great confidence. Then don't let your heart tell you that you are condemned. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Trust Jesus and love people. Life, life, 
only comes through Jesus and what he did for you. Will you live your life out of that kind of trust and will you let it lead you to love? And John says that actually brings great confidence that when we live in a, in a trust and love kind of life, he says we can actually go up to God and ask for things. You see, I love giving you things. We're in step together. This is a great dance, and I love to give things. We can ask God for big things because our heart is tuned to the song that he's singing. His spirit takes up residence in you. And so this is awesome. Jesus gave up his throne and came down and moved into the neighborhood. God came close to us. And then Jesus says, I got to go away because something greater is coming. And he sends his spirit, not just to be close to you, but to be where? To take up residence in you. You're like, you can't get away now. This is cool. Jesus came close. The spirit gets in. He moves into our hearts and he drives us to love. May we be a people who trust Jesus, who are filled with God's Spirit. And may we be a people who live to love, see needs, meet needs, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Jesus, you call yourself the good shepherd. You know us each by name. And you loved us not just in an emotional kind of way. Your love drove you to come for us, to find us and to rescue us and to give your life. You invite us into life. And as people who are adopted into your family, we start to live by your family rules. Would you change us into, be, into people who live like you? Would you change us into people who love better, who take love further, who look for needs and for ways that we can be generous? Would you grow this in us and make us ill-content with standing still? Break our hearts so that we can bring life, light, and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.